is we read the scriptures together six days a week. And you can, if you want to read with us, we have booklets that are available up in the information desk along with a, uh, a notebook if you're one of those note takers as well. that You can have one of those. We have a uh, suggested donation of $10. But even if you don't, we just want you to have that so that you can follow along with us as we're going through the Bible together. And so as we read six days during the week, our sermons on Sunday are based in part or in whole from the readings that we have done. And so we've been starting over. We just started this past year. Um, so we're not that far into it. If you want to get caught up with us and grab and start reading along, you can find our sermons online at heightschristian.org. And so um, we would love for you to, to catch up with us so that you are up to date with where we're at. And we're going through the book of Genesis right now. And we are in the life of Joseph. We read chapters 37 through 45. How many of you read along this week? Sweet. So, so glad to see you guys doing that. I want to see all of you doing that just because so much there to look at. And, and I think when we look at the patriarchs just in general, when we look at, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one of the things that I think you guys have noticed, or at least I've noticed as we've read through, is a lot of these that are, that are the, the pillars of the faith, they did a lot of things that didn't seem very faithful. They had to learn faith along the way, right? And, and that faithfulness would be passed down to the next generation. They kind of stumble our way through faith. And then we get to the account that we read this week of Joseph. And Joseph is different. Joseph is different because we don't see a struggling with faith in quite the same way that we saw with Abraham or with Isaac or with Jacob. You know, they had to grow in their faith to a point of where they trusted God. And, and Joseph seems to be that person that basically from the very beginning trusted God. 100%. As a matter of fact, maybe you know somebody who's like that in your life. I can honestly say my wife is that person in my life who could say, I just grew up, I love Jesus, I wanted to be a missionary, I wanted to do all of these amazing things, and never really doubted the existence of God or what he's done for me. I can honestly say she falls into that category. It's just a blessing to be around her because of that. Maybe you guys know people who are like that, but a lot of us are kind of probably more Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? We, we stumble along, make our mistakes, learn the hard way, and we, we somewhere along the way are learning that faithfulness of what it means to be like Jesus. Well, this, the title of this sermon, based upon Joseph and his life, is called Faithful with Little, Trusted with Much. And when I read the account, when we read from Genesis 37 to 45, I couldn't help but think of Jesus' parable of the talents found in Matthew chapter 25. And so if you will, turning your Bibles with me to Matthew 25, because I want us to have kind of a viewpoint that's heavenly, that's, that's a New Testament viewpoint of faith, because I think this is what Joseph has from the very beginning. And so the parable of talents, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 14 he says again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. 
Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put the money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I... I, knew that you are a hard man and harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I did not scatter seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And, and I think it's very important that we recognize that. It's not about a kingdom on earth. It's the kingdom of heaven that we're looking at in this parable of Matthew 25. And I think that that mindset has to be ours, even as we're looking at the life of Joseph and our own lives as well. Because I think many times you and I get a little too caught up in this world. I don't think Joseph was. I really don't. I think he has that mindset of, of having the mindset of where God's perspective was. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 say this. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. This should be our perspective. I'll be honest with you, it isn't always my perspective. I get too distracted with the things that are happening to me and around me in the world. I I see things that are happening in this world that, that I take personal offense at. Beyond just looking at them from a biblical worldview, I just, they interrupt my life in a way that I wish they didn't. And they help take my eyes off of Jesus where my eyes ought to be all the time. I keep thinking how different that is. If you've read with us this past week, we look at the life of Joseph. 
Joseph is somebody from the very beginning that he's introduced in the scriptures to the very end. He seems to have this unwavering faith in God. Nothing about what happens to Joseph is because of anything that Joseph did that was necessarily wrong. He was the favorite of his father that we read in uh, chapter 37, and that gets him in trouble with his other brothers. But I'll ask you this question. Was it Joseph's fault that he was the favorite? He really didn't do anything to be the favorite. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that it's because he was born, he was a child born of Jacob's old age. And that he was from the favored wife that he had with Rachel. And therefore, he was precious to him in a way that the other children weren't. And we talked about favoritism last week or a couple weeks ago. And the terribleness that that can bring itself out. But Joseph himself did nothing to that. He was merely the recipient of those things. And yet, having that recipientness of being the favorite caused a lot of problems for him. We see dreams starting to manifest himself as God communicates to Joseph in dreams. And that's looked at offensively by everybody in the family. It's looked at offensively by the brothers who saw that this was another sign of favoritism. It was looked at offensively to a certain extent by Jacob who rebuked him and said, Hey, is this really going to happen? But these dreams weren't of Joseph, they were of God. And they were the prime reason by which the brothers ended up having jealousy toward him and selling him off. And so we look from chapter 37, we see that Joseph is 17 years old to the time in which he is ruling with Pharaoh. He's 30 years old and we have a 13 year period of time where he has put himself into slavery. And he's put into prison. And he comes out of prison because of God creating these dreams for him to interpret. And he finds himself with the favor of the Pharaoh because of his interpretation of dreams. And he ends up saving not just his family from famine, but all of Egypt and that region from famine because of his wisdom. He has the encounter back with his brothers again and he reconciles with them after testing them through all of that if you looked at the daily devotionals that we did this week which you guys can check out at the YouTube backslash Heights Christian Church yeah, I believe that some of that testing was as much a redemption of Judah as it was Joseph testing them because Judah is the one who sold him off into slavery who had the idea to do so and then he's the one who's protecting Benjamin with all of his might. And finally Joseph gives up the ruse and shares that he's that long lost brother that's been sold into slavery and there's a reconciliation that takes place. This is kind of what happens for the most part in Joseph's life between chapters 37 and 45 that we read this week. And through all of that, Joseph remained faithful. What does it mean to truly remain faithful? 
Because he did it in every circumstance. He did it in good times when he was the favorite and the favored. He did it in bad times when he was sold as a slave and he was put off in prison. What are some things that you and I can learn from Joseph's life concerning faithfulness toward God? I think there are four things. There are four things in general. In our relationship with God, we want to be found faithful. At least I do. I pray you do too. And with Joseph, his relationship with God undergirded everything that he did. And it was evident as he was put in these different, this myriad of situations that maybe a lesser man, and, and maybe Joseph, because it's not, not all of his life is recorded in the scriptures, would wonder why. Why? Why is all this happening? I'm trying to be faithful trying to do the things that God is having me to do and I'm going to continue to be faithful no matter what. What can you and I learn about faithfulness? Well, number one is this. Joseph was faithful in being truthful even when the truth was hard to hear and would get him in trouble. Joseph was faithful in being truthful even when the truth was hard to hear and would get him in trouble. Let's take a look at some of those hard to hear places. Genesis chapter 37. Verse 2, it says this. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Billa and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. It's a very interesting statement that we start this chapter off with. There's a bad report because his brothers from other mothers weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. He was the tattletale, right? He was the one who was saying, they're supposed to be doing this, they're not doing this, they're doing this other thing. You know how he did that? He was out with them and was tending the flocks with them. They all had a job to do. He was faithfully administering the job. They were not. Now, I ask students this all the time. How many of you like group projects? Invariably, nobody raises their hands. And you know why? Because the students will tell you. Because most of the time, it comes down to one or two people in the group who are doing all the work because everybody else is not doing what they're supposed to do. And yet the grade is dependent upon everybody doing that work. And so if they simply said they're not doing the work, that wouldn't matter. They're still going to get a bad grade. So they hate doing group work. 100%. Well, in the same way, they're doing this group work, except they're going to tell dad, and dad probably punished them. And they looked upon him with more derision. Nobody likes to be told that they're doing something wrong. Nobody likes to be called out for doing something wrong. And we have a a weird, I don't know what you would call it, a weird um, culture that we have grown up with where we actually have kids being told you don't want to be that tattletale. You don't want to be the tattletale. You don't want to be the one that that tells on somebody else. 
Where did we get the idea that not telling the truth about something just because it was unpleasant to hear was worthy of covering it up? I don't think there's anything honorable about that. But we call names for tattletales, right? If you're a tattletale, you're, you're somebody not nice. You're, you're stoking problems where there weren't any problems before. We were just fine doing nothing and you doing everything. If you, you would have not upset that arrangement, I would have been so fine with that. Joseph was a truthful person from the beginning, even at the cost of upsetting his brothers. We see it in chapter 39, verses 6 through 10. So, jo- so he, uh, Potiphar, left Joseph in care of everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted in my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Number two. Potiphar's wife is making a pass at Joseph. A very tempting offer for somebody who is in slavery. And Joseph, because of the integrity of his heart, told the truth, said, I have been withheld from you and I cannot do this thing, this bad thing. Number one, against God, but number two, against the wishes of the master of the house. And doing so creates a jealous rage from her as she sets up, you know, a situation in which she tries to sleep with him and he runs away from her. And having the tunic in her hand that she had grabbed said, he's come to make sport of us, which casts Joseph, though he's done nothing wrong at this point, in jail. All because he told the truth. Chapter 40, verses 16 through 19. Joseph's in jail and all of a sudden two people show up in jail with him. The cupbearer and the chief baker. And they both have dreams. And Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread and the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said, the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat away your flesh. You know, it's interesting that the baker doesn't ask for the interpretation of his dream until he hears that there was a favorable interpretation of the other's dream, the cupbearer's dream. And yet, 
There's a pressure on Joseph at that moment in time. He knows the interpretation. He knows what it says. And he knows how terrible the circumstances are. And he says it anyway. It would have been so easy, right? To be able to say, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if you want to know what that dream says. I, I, I don't really know what that says. Uh, maybe maybe you should, I don't know, consult uh, other people who know about bread making. I'm not sure. I'm not one of those people. I don't know a whole lot about birds. So I'm not sure. It had been so easy, right? Because the pressure is, this is not a favorable response. They're going to hear something that's going to result in his death in 72 hours. And yet the dream was truthful because it came from God. And Joseph, because he was a man committed to truth, even though it didn't always make favors for his life and his livelihood, stood on the truth anyway. I think that's something for you and me. We're called to be people of truth, called to be people who are not a falsehood, people who can share the truth in love, even if that truth is hard. We're called to do it as believers in Christ. We see Joseph doing it in every circumstance, and it doesn't always work out well for him, and it's important for you guys to hear that. Because sometimes we think when we share truth that it's going to be, oh, the scales come off their eyes and everybody sees just fine. No, they don't. And sometimes they're going to malign you for it. And sometimes they're going to say bad things about you and put you in bad situations all because you're sharing the truth. doesn't matter how lovingly you do it. And so like Joseph, we're called to be people of truth. Number two, Joseph was faithful in his work ethic. Everywhere he went, he prospered those whom he worked for. Everywhere. He was known as somebody who works exceptionally hard and had gifts and talents that prospered the people he worked for. Sold into slavery, he finds himself in Potiphar's house. Genesis 39, starting in verse 2, it says this. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. What a testimony. To have such trust in somebody, right? That I could leave them in charge of everything and know that everything is going to be taken care of as well as you could possibly imagine. 
And after he is accused of Potiphar's wife and he is thrown into prison, look at what happens in, in, at the end of this chapter, in, in chapter 39, verses 20 through 23. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those who who were held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sold into slavery, I'm going to work hard as a slave. Thrown into prison from that slavery, I'm going to work hard as a prisoner. Because God has called me to be faithful in all the things that I'm doing. And in doing so, there's a blessing. And it wouldn't just extend in these times of hardship, So we look after the dreams have taken place from Pharaoh and Joseph has been brought out and he interprets those dreams. Pharaoh then asks, what what should we do? Now that we know that this seven years of plenty is going to be followed by the seven years of famine, how should we deal with this? In verse 37 of chapter 41, we see... Joseph comes up with this plan and says, this is what you should do. Take one-fifth of all the harvest of all the good years and set it aside. Verse 37, it says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, and there's no one so discerning and as wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. With only respect to the throne will I be greater than you. See, Joseph's integrity toward his work worked out in every situation. Didn't matter if he was a slave, didn't matter if he was a prisoner, didn't matter if he was a brother, didn't matter if he was second in command only to Pharaoh. His work ethic was known to everybody because the Lord prospered in all that he had done and gave him success in everything that he had done. You know, you and I are called to do the exact same thing. Colossians chapter 3, further down in that chapter... We see Paul addressing five different groups of people. He addresses wives, he addresses husbands, he addresses children, he addresses fathers, and he addresses slaves. And then in verse 23 and 24, after he's given some some specific instructions for each of these groups, he says this overarching statement, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So what you and I are supposed to do is we're supposed to work as if we're working for the Lord. This is what Joseph did in everything that he did. That we're supposed to be working hard as if we're working for Jesus, not our employer. Working hard as if we're working for Jesus, not just our teachers at school. Working hard as if we're working for Jesus, not just our parents at home. 
everything for the sake of the Lord. Everything. That's what it means to be faithful. The third thing. Joseph was faithful in exercising his gift that God had given him. God had given him the gift of dreams and interpretation. It's a gift that's given even to this day, as a matter of fact. We, we read about it in Joel. We see it at Pentecost. The Spirit of God poured out that the old men will see visions. The young men will dream dreams. God still communicates in that way. But he gives lots of other gifts too. We can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We can look at Romans chapter 12. We can look at a lot of different places in the scripture where God gives a multitude of gifts for the body of Christ, for the building up of his people. And we see Joseph exercising that from beginning to the end. The dreams early on where he shares it with his brothers and his father and they think it's a presumptuous dream of, of them bowing down to him where God's showing him a vision of the future. The dreams of the cupbearer and the chief baker that are in prison where she interprets faithfully and then is forgotten about for two years afterwards. The dreams of Pharaoh that are two and one and the same. That gives the warning of the seven years of plenty followed by the seven years of famine that are going to come. He faithfully administers his gift every single time. You and I are called to do the same thing. Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 11. It was he, talking about Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are part of the body of Christ. And God is giving you a gift. I I know we say that every single week when we talk about serving God, that God is giving you a gift. But he's giving you a gift for a number of reasons, one of which is for maturity's sake. You cannot become mature without exercising the gifts that God has given you. Not my word, I just read it. We come together in the body so that you might encourage one another in using our gifts and building the body up. This is where we use our gifts first. It's a training ground. You got a gift of teaching and you're not teaching here? That's an abdication of a gift that God has given you. You have the gift of administration and you're not administrating in the body of Christ. That's a gift that God has given you for the glory of God, for the building up of God's people. You have the gift of service and you're not serving. That's a gift for God's people. You have the gift of giving. You have the gift of 
name whatever gift there is out there of teaching, of preaching. If you're not using that gift that God has given you, the body is not encouraged and you are not becoming mature. Joseph was growing in his faith because he always used his gift that God gave him. Always. Every single time we see Joseph administering this gift, whether it's the dreams that he has had or dreams that others have had, he always uses the gift that God has given him for his growth and for the glory of God. Because every single time he used it, every single time, I'm sure he's growing. You know why? Because every single time I use the gifts that God has given me, I'm growing. It doesn't mean it's easy. Like we said, we've already talked about him interpreting the uh, chief baker's dream and being forgotten in jail for two years. And his first dreams kind of kept that that bridge or or kept that uh, wall built up between him and his brothers where he got sold off into slavery. But he was still being faithful to God throughout all those hardships. And guess what? He's growing from it. And you know what? As you're administering your gift... It may not always be easy, but I'll tell you something. Through the hardship of administering your gift, you're going to grow in maturity because you're going to become unwavering in God's faithfulness of you standing forth in the gifts that God has given you. Just the truth. If you never do it, how are you going to grow? I always thought I'd be good at this. I never did it, but I thought I'd be good at it. So if you got a gift, use it. Number four, Joseph was faithful in keeping God's perspective in every area of his life. It just bleeds off of the account of Joseph. All of the things that we said beforehand, the one thing Joseph never loses track of is God's perspective. Never. You would think that he would, right? Considering all the hardship that he went through. He gets sold into slavery. I'm sure, I'm not going to say he's never had a moment where he said, didn't say why God, but it's not recorded in the scripture. I would be saying that. Many of us in here be like, woe is me. Look what's happened to me and all I'm trying to do is be faithful. We don't see that with him. Matter of fact, every opportunity that he has, all he does is give glory to God. And God prospers him every single time. Let's take a look at some of them. Genesis 39.9. Guess where he's at? He's in prison. No, he's not in prison. He's in slavery here. Excuse me. He'll be in prison in a minute. All this is in the past. It's already happened. So so he's, he's in slavery here. So notice when he is tempted by Potiphar's wife, what is his reaction? His reaction that we've already read. It says, no one is in this house is greater than I am. Verse 9. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then? Could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
the thing that comes out of his mouth isn't that he's sinning against Potiphar. It's that he's sinning against God. He's kept the godly perspective this whole time. He sold into slavery, is chief of the slaves of this house. She is coming tempting him, and he is still thinking about what would God want me to do. He doesn't want me doing this. And he freely confesses it. His motivation is freely confessed to her that I can't do this thing, not because of your husband, but because of my relationship with God. Not a problem for him whatsoever. Oh my goodness. And how many times do you and I sweat over naming the name of God in front of somebody else? If I say God, if I say Jesus, they're going to be like, I don't know. Oh no. Not even a second thought. Joseph, no problem whatsoever. I couldn't do this. I can't do this. Because God doesn't want me to do this. I don't really care what you think, even though you are Potiphar's wife, the only one held back from me, because there's a greater authority than Potiphar in my life, which makes me both honor Potiphar and honor your marriage, and that is God. And I have no problem saying it. Or how about Genesis chapter 40 and verse 8? Where the cupbearer and the chief baker both had dreams. And we read in verse 8, it says, We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. See, he didn't even take the whole idea of interpretation upon himself. Do interpretations belong to Joseph? No, they belong to God. But he recognized his gift in interpretation. Tell me your dreams. I'll I'll tell you what they mean, but they're not coming from me. They're coming from God. This is a gift God has given to me to administer for his glory. But he gets the credit. And right there at the beginning, so they would have no hesitation, no doubt as to who was doing it, Joseph freely says, God is the one doing this. Not me. And he says it again when he's talking to Pharaoh. Chapter 41, verses 14 and 15, or excuse me, 15 and 16, he says this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You see what happened there? I can't, I can't do it. Pharaoh's trying to give him the credit for interpreting the dream. He's the vessel that God is using, absolutely. Because he heard it from the cupbearer. But when given the opportunity to take the glory for himself, he immediately diffuses that and said, I can't do it. But God, God's the one who interprets dreams, and he will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. See, this is a perspective you and I should have. God should be so coming out of our mouths that it's just normal for people to say, you know, even get irritated. All he does is talk about God. Yes, it's all about God. 
But everything in the world around us either wants us to take credit for ourselves, for the things that God is doing in and through us, or to shut us up from talking about God in the first place. These are the pressures Joseph faced. He has the two dreams to begin with and why his, his father Jacob is even rebuking him. Why? Is this really going to happen? Says he rebuked him. Why? To get him to be quiet, make it a little bit more peaceful around the house. And here he is making sure that God gets the glory every single time. Every single time. And so pervasive was his mindset toward God that even at the end, after the testing with his brothers is over with, and he has revealed himself to his brothers, weeping and realizing the changes that have happened in their lives as well that have drawn them closer to God. Because they're now protecting of the favorite brother where they were rejecting of him before because Benjamin kind of took the place of Joseph after Joseph left. Genesis 45, 4 through 8 says this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land and for the next five years, it will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So that it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. What a perspective. He's sold into slavery. He's put into jail. He's forgotten. And in every step of the way, he trusts God. And seeing where he's at at the very end, he says, God brought me here so that I could save you, so there will be a remnant of people. So do not be angry with yourselves. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed that you did this. God sent me here. You know, it just reminds me of what what we read in Romans chapter 8 where it says, you know, that God causes good for all things to those who love him who are called according to his purpose. He doesn't call all things that happen to us good, but he works for our good in all things. So we can look back and say, you know what? This stunk, but you know what? God was there every step of the way. And I can look back and see that God has a plan and is working a plan through this that he might still receive the glory. This is where Joseph is at. Joseph here, 13 years after he's been sold off into slavery, spending most of that time as a slave and a prisoner, still sees with godly eyes. To the point that when his brothers come, there's not an axe to grind. But rather, he's there to deliver them. Because God's called them there. What what an amazing perspective, right? 
do you and I look at the places that we're at in life right now with that same godly perspective? I'm in a job that I hate. Come on, how many of you have been there? I'm in a job that I hate. I'm around people I don't understand. I'm in a family that drives me crazy. You believe that God works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to their purpose. And you and I should be looking at what is God teaching us through that, that he's going to redeem for his glory so that we can go back and say, God, use this. No matter how bad that situation was, God used this and brought me out because I'm looking to be faithful to him in all things. That's where we need to be. It's that heavenly perspective. Because we're serving our Lord, right? We're not serving ourselves. I'm not working for my employer. I'm working for Jesus. I'm I'm not doing anything except that it might be for the glory of God in all things. It's what it means to be faithful. And so these four lessons of being truthful, even when it's not popular... of being faithful in our work ethic, of exercising the gifts that God has given us and giving glory to God and looking at his perspective in all things. This is what it means to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. And it happens when we stop looking at our circumstances and keep our eyes focused on the one to whom we say we're living for. As we close, I just want to remind you Of what it says here in Colossians chapter 3. This is our focus. It's supposed to be our focus. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, if Christ is my life, then I'm going to be living for him in every situation. I'm going to tell the truth because it's what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to work hard because I'm working hard for Jesus and not for myself. I'm going to exercise my gifts because he's the one who's given me the gifts to exercise. I am going to give him glory because he is my focus of all things. Even to the point if the world gets nauseous at the fact that he's going to mention Jesus again. Oh my goodness. What a terrible thing for a Christian to be known for. Actually exalting the name of Jesus Christ in all that we say and do. Man, I could think of a whole lot worse things they could say about us. Would you stand? This isn't our home. And sometimes, sometimes this place is just a distraction. Kind of like that sound. It distracts us and keeps our eyes off of Jesus and forgive, has us forget that this is not the final destination. My hope and prayer is just that we would recalibrate our lives right now to be thinking of those eternal things and have that worked out in our day-to-day lives.
If we're able to do that, people will see Jesus and what it means to be faithful to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for this day and our time together. Help us be faithful no matter our circumstance, oh Lord. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, to keep our eyes focused on you, to give you glory for everything, to exercise the gifts that you've given us, to work hard as if we're working for you, because we are. And we want to give Christ a good name. Help us be truthful no matter the cost, dear Heavenly Father. And may you receive all praise and glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.